Congress cannot force the Federal Reserve to buy its bonds. They can just hope. And as soon as they even suggest that the Fed should maybe, you know, work together with Congress with fiscal and monetary policy, uh, then everybody hits the roof and say, says we're uh, violating the independence of the central bank. Where the focus is totally on short-term loans, short-term profits, and um, raising capital or manipulating interest rates to serve the banks, not to serve the people or the local community. Finally, I am able to offer Bill Andrews' amazing new anti-aging dietary supplement with TAM. I have been wanting this since I learned about its discovery approximately four years ago. At that time, it was not available as an oral supplement, but now, Define Time with TAM is here. This amazing product counteracts and suppresses the fundamental cause of aging, telomere shortening. TAM improves biological health in skin, vessels, brain, and bone. Specifically, it works to lengthen telomeres and cells, leading to younger and healthier cells. Currently, Define Time with TAM is the most effective anti-aging compound available in the world today. Listeners will receive a 5% discount using code SARAH5. Be sure to use this every time you buy. It will also work in conjunction with other offers. See additional research and learn more with the link below. The Business Game Changers, I'm Sarah Westall. I have Ellen Brown coming back to the show. She is She's a very smart lady. She has been analyzing banking systems and what's best, how to structure our banking system for the benefit of the people versus more for the benefit of Wall Street or others that ultimately do not benefit the people. And she has, she has a lot of answers. She has a lot of ideas. She also is going to come on and share with us how China and Japan are essentially going to especially China, are going to kick our butt if we don't change our banking system. I mean, we're essentially competing with two hands behind our back crawling when they are full-fledged, well-rested, and, you know, they have no problem. I mean, they're just going to destroy us because their banking system and how they do things is so far superior to what we're doing that we just can't, we're not going to be able to compete. Not only are they going to beat us, which they're poised to do now, they are going to destroy us if we don't and not destroy us in the sense of how we think they are they're just going to be so much more economically powerful than us because of their banking system our solutions of course are to always go to war but uh, is that really what we want to do versus just become better let's just become better at what we do and so that's what we talk about unfortunately I asked her some questions here in the interview and all of a sudden it dropped I could not get her back on I could not connect with her and in the questions I was asking her is how is she educating people about this and how is she, um, how can you get hold of her? And so I added a clip at the end on, you know, I answered the question for her because I figured I knew a lot of those answers. So I will have all those links below and things for you. Um, but this is a very good interview. It's important. It's important for us to discuss it. And we also discuss mercantilism versus free market versus communism. And that what we're talking about isn't a communist system and what's really better for us long-term. So let's get into this interview now with Ellen Brown. Hi, Ellen. Thank you so much for joining the program. Uh, thanks, Sarah. It's always great to talk to you. 
Well, I've been wanting to do this interview for a while on the Chinese banking system. I, I know I asked you about it a couple years ago, and you wrote a book or an article on it, and and now it's time. <laughs> so right. thank you so much for coming back and talking about this. But Chinese, their banking system, they have such an advantage over the United States because of how they do their banking. I mean, huge. And plus, there's other reasons they have an advantage. But it's almost as if we have two hands tied behind our back and we have to crawl while they're running, you know, full speed. Can you explain why they are at such a huge advantage with their banking system? Okay, well, first, uh, the government owns 80% of the banks. And we now know the Bank of England has acknowledged, among other, and the Bundesbank and other authorities have acknowledged that banks don't actually lend their deposits. They create deposits when they make loans. So most of our money is actually created by banks when they make loans. So the government owns the banks. And of course, the government is more autocratic than ours. I mean, they don't argue about what they're going to do. They just decide we're going to build high speed rail across the country. And they borrow the money from their own banks, which create the money on their books, and they take off and do it. Uh, so those, that type of loan, like an infrastructure loan, is called a self-funding loan. It will create trains, which people will ride, and they'll pay fees, and that will pay back the loan. So, you, you know, that's a perfectly virtuous cycle type thing. Uh, some loans or some expenditures won't pay back necessarily, like fixing the roads. Who's going to pay, pay back for that? But then they, so then they wind up with what are called non-performing loans, but they don't worry about that. They just leave them on their books and there's no, nobody is hurt. I mean, everybody gets outraged about all the non-performing loans that the Chinese banks have, but as long as they're willing to carry them on their books, because all you've done is create money on your books, which has then gone out into the community and not come back. So you've just created some extra money that's, that's out there, but the economy, all economies need some extra money because of the way our whole money system is structured. Money is created as a loan, which is paid back, but it's always at interest. The interest is not paid back, or the interest is not created in the original loan. So there's never enough money to pay principal and interest. The debt always grows faster than the money supply. So in ancient times, what they used to do was to um, do periodic debt jubilees, but we can't do that today because the banks are privately owned and the bankers would, of course, not put up with that. So, uh, but what we could do is periodically put extra money into the system. And that's exactly what the Chinese have done. Their money supply has increased by, has increased 18 times in the last 20 years. And uh, they still have, up to last December, they had inflation that was still below 2%. It's gone up a bit now because apparently they have a swine flu crisis. Uh, so that's driven up the cost of pork, which is one of their staples. But, but still, it's, you know, very, it certainly hasn't turned into hyperinflation, although they've inflated and, and inflated and inflated their money supply. And why is that? Because their GDP has gone up as well. They're using that money for productive purposes, uh, increase, you know, increasing supply. So supply and demand go up together and prices remain stable. You said one thing about having their unperforming loans on their books and people complain about that. Now, is that any different than us having our debt that we're never going to pay back on our books? 
or anything else that we have on our books that we're never going to pay back. Exactly. And uh, the China, or the Japanese, for example, have bought back 50% of their federal debt, and it is literally sitting on the books of the central bank. And they don't, they can't even get their inflation rate up to 2%. I mean, it is definitely not inflated the money supply. It doesn't hurt anything. It's better because it means that the interest uh, goes, the interest, well, they return their, just like us, they return their profits to the government after deducting their costs. So the interest goes back to the government. So it's basically an interest-free loan that's carried on the books indefinitely. So it's just creating more money that goes into the economy, but the economy needs that extra money. It does not drive up prices. The whole monetarist theory is wrong. There's so much data that shows you can put a lot of new money into the money supply without creating hyperinflation. The hyperinflations that have happened have happened for another reason. Uh, Venezuela and um, Zimbabwe and, uh, you know, the German German debacle over the 1920s. Uh, this was because they had debts, foreign debts in a foreign currency that they couldn't control. And so the speculators come in and then they drive down the value of the, of the local currency. The government has no choice but to um, try to buy the dollars at the higher and higher price. So this devalues their own local currency until it's worthless. And they almost so, want to do that on purpose, though, right? Because that gets them out from underneath their debt as well, right? Well, I've heard that theory, but it, it's certainly not. <laughs> well, it's, it, it destroys their whole, up. yeah, it destroys their whole economy, but it does let them start fresh. Uh, well, I, I suppose. I mean, it's I, terrible. I, yeah. Venezuela, <laughs> Zimbabwe, and Germany weren't in good shape after they did that. Yeah. No, it took them a while to overcome. I guess it's just like a bankruptcy. It takes you a while to come back. Now, the. The, there's other things that the United States has that, that China doesn't have, and that's the obviously the $22 trillion that have stolen from our economy that we can't find. And then also the fact that we have to, we have a private institution called the Federal Reserve that owns our, our central bank. I mean, aren't those two things put together completely crippling the United States in comparison to China? Right. Uh, particularly since the 1970s, um, central banks are supposed to be independent, which means that the, the government, the Congress or the president is not supposed to tell the central bank what to do. And so they can't really coordinate their policies. I know there's uh, this whole modern monetary theory about the government can just spend and spend and that's OK. They'll go into deficit spending, but that's OK because then the Federal Reserve will buy the bonds and create more money and we can afford to put more money in the economy. I would agree with all that, except that we cannot, the Congress cannot force the Federal Reserve to buy its bonds. They can just hope. And as soon as they even suggest that the Fed should maybe, you know, work together with Congress with fiscal and monetary policy, uh, then everybody hits the roof and say, says we're uh, violating the independence of the central bank. Whereas in Japan, their laws are different, and the law actually says that um, the the government and the central bank are supposed to work together. You mean China in, or Japan? In Japan, and okay. in China, it's even more. In China, okay. the Chinese, the 
what their banking laws say is that the Chinese government is in charge and that the central bank is working for the government. So it's under the government. Well, and that's what our constitution says. But here we have a group of, it's one thing about being independent that's working for the people, but we have an independent Federal Reserve that is owned by, we don't even know, and speculation is, is that it's really owned by a bunch of foreigners in Europe. Right. Well, it's not working for us, for sure. That it's The Federal Reserve is composed of 12 branches, all of which are 100% owned by the banks in their district. Uh, that the Federal Open Market Committee determines interest rates and other things, determines whether or not they're going to buy the bonds, for example. And um, that all happens behind closed doors. And five of the 12 members are heads of the central bank. So they're all basically representing private banks. And the most influential, the one that's always there, four of them rotate, uh, but the one that's always in the FOMC is the um, chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, which is the most powerful. And that is obviously where Wall Street is. So that's where the big Wall Street banks are. And so they, they have the most influence and they're calling the shots. So our monetary policy is all about preserving the banks, making sure they get paid. Um, I've seen lately like this, uh, the Bank for International Settlements, which is another private entity, which is composed of a bunch of central banks. Uh, they, they raised the capital requirements after 2008. It, and they also raised them like in uh, 1989 when the Japanese banks were lending on with lower capital. And so this crushed the Japanese banks and that precipitated the whole crisis of, you know, that the Japanese have been struggling with ever since. So the bank for, and, and what's the good of that? Why have more capital? Supposedly that protects the banks, it protects the investors, but it's not helping the people. I mean, it's, inhibiting the ability of the banks to make loans into their local communities. Places like Korea, Japan, they used to make loans, local loans to their local businesses. They, they would have a long range view, the government and the bank was working together. So they would be thinking in terms of, you know, pro productivity in the future. Now we, we, the focus is totally on short term loans, short term profits and um, raising capital or manipulating interest rates to serve the banks, not to serve the people or the local community. Well, and they've pretty much sold it to everyone originally that we needed to be independent because the politics is too slow, it's bureaucratic, and we want to be independent so that we can serve the needs of commerce and the needs of the people. But it turned out to be that they're just serving the needs of Wall Street or whoever owns that and not the needs of the people. Right. We really need a central bank that works with the government like like the Japanese. That's working very well for them. And it's good doing that. I mean, they're establishing a model and now we can point to that and see this will work. It was like when they did quantitative easing in 2008, people said, "That's you know, you can't do that. It's gonna create hyperinflation and it didn't. We've now seen that the central bank can do amazing things. They can print trillions of dollars and get away with it and it doesn't impair the economy they can well they anyway they can do a lot they can manipulate interest rates down to zero if they want so now that we see what the, that tool is oh also they are paying on their reserves which is the 
banks deposits basically the banks deposits are in the maintained at the federal reserve they are getting 2.35% interest so that's like free money for the banks um uh, absolutely no risk if your money's at the fed there's totally no risk and that money is clear profit for the banks like the reserves have to stay there in the reserve account but the, but the interest goes back to the bank as clear profit which they can spend however they want if we we the people have, so this is what i just wrote about in my latest book which is called banking on the people that um we should have the same perks as as the banks in other words we too should be able to bank at the central bank i didn't make that up there are a number of um economists um uh, treasury officials different people that have proposed this that we should open up the central banks uh deposit window to everyone and this would solve the problem of runs on the banks because the 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 central bank can't run out of money the only downside that, that these experts foresaw was that everybody would then rush to the central bank i mean who would want an account at chase or you know some big bank that might go bankrupt when the central bank is going to pay you 2.35% interest for a perfectly secure place to bank there'd be no cap uh, no um fdi no need for fdic insurance and so no $250,000 cap which means the big pension funds could park their money there they wouldn't have to go in the money markets and other riskier shadow banking alternatives so it would work out it would solve a multitude of ills but the problem that these experts foresaw was that um because everyone would pull their deposits out of the other banks there would be no deposits for lending and therefore the whole you know the lending business would fall off but it seems to me that if you set it up as um make the private banks be franchisees of the central bank in other words they can all have access to those deposits that are at the central bank but they have to agree to be public utilities in other words they have to be operating in the public interest and not you know they they have to change their motives <laughs> change their ways i'm proud to share with you tetragen which helps you transition to a healthier happier and thinner you without cravings or side effects our metabolic hormones are the underlying problem that doom every diet and exercise program to fail they control our metabolism cravings how much we eat to feel satiated blood sugar levels and even our energy levels Tetragen is formulated with four clinically proven patented ingredients to help rebalance your metabolic hormones in roughly 15 to 20 days, depending on the amount of weight you want to lose. Once your metabolic hormones are rebalanced, you'll be on the path of long-term sustainable weight loss because Tetragen is the first in the world which is scientifically formulated with four clinically proven and patented active ingredients to help you reach your targeted weight in two distinct phases. Phase 1, we balance your metabolic hormones and phase 2, accelerate fat loss. The best part is that Tetragen comes with a 60-day money back guarantee. So what do you have to lose besides weight? Learn more with the link below. Well, and without that, we are severely hindered by the fact that so much of our money, our capital is being funneled out of the system. at least it's been proven and would it is it true that the 22 trillion that got funneled out would it be easier to trace that and track that and not be funneled out or do you think that's a totally separate issue 
it does, it seems to me that there is no excuse for all the secrecy. There's no excuse for secrecy in budget. I mean, that we the people should be entitled to know where our money is going. I can see where you have military secrets, like you don't want the enemy, assuming we have any enemies, to know what your you know your latest invention is or what your what your plans are for invading here or there or whatever or defending here and there but where the money goes is should not be secret we should be able to tell you know there should be proper accounting procedures and as Catherine Austin Fitz recently pointed out I guess they've changed the accounting rules so they don't even have to account yeah. they don't even have to make the books balance well, Which isn't is, that, yeah, I mean, it, the bottom line is if that much money is funneled out of our system and and China doesn't have, or Japan, the, the whole Asian area doesn't have that kind of banking system, we will just not be able to compete, period. I mean, there's no way we can compete if there is, if we have two, I mean, if they essentially are stealing half our stuff, unless half our stuff is going to Asia too. Now we have triple the problem. Yeah. Now, who knows where it's going? That's what I mean. We don't know where it's going. Is it going to a secret space program? Is it going to Asia? Is it going to other investments? I mean, the United States, if we don't fix this problem, any business person understands or can get their head wrapped on it should clearly understand and be freaked out that they have that much more capital to work with. I mean, we just can't compete unless we fix this problem. Mm -hmm. Well, and we can invent the capital. That's the other thing. Capital is, or liquidity or whatever you want to say, that, that's what's wrong with our system. And that, that was another theme in this book I just wrote, is that we assume that money, that you have to borrow it from somewhere before you can lend it. And we know that's not what they do. They don't borrow it somewhere else. They just create it on their books. And But then, because we have these accounting rules, they have to scramble around and make it look like they got, got it from somewhere else. So they borrow it overnight when when somebody's looking at their books, the, the books balance, and they give it back during the day. And this, these are that's what went wrong in 2008 was, was that the money markets collapsed or, or the, you know, that short-term one-day turnover thing collapsed because of fear that the banks were going bad. Um, so, so the whole thing is very rickety. It's all based on a fraud. It's based on the fraud that money can be in two places at once, but we don't need that. Let's acknowledge that money is just credit. And what the bank does is to verify your credit. The bank is there to guarantee your loan. And if the bank is, the, the central government, if, if it's the central bank, which has a deep pocket, which, you know, can't run out of money. All we're talking about is bookkeeping here. We're just saying, uh, like the Chinese do. Well, if you trace the Chinese system back, when they were communist, all they were doing was keeping track of where the money went. Like, they created the money. Everybody knew that the government created the money. They would spend it here, spend it there. Some of it was profitable. Some of it wasn't. If it wasn't, it just went on the books, you know, somewhere as. So they didn't worry about balancing the books because they created the money. And that's what we could do again and should do again, it seems to me. Well, people are scared of this whole notion that if the public, if the bank becomes a central bank is, owned, is run by the government, now we're becoming this whole communist system. How is it better? And I know you've said you explaining why it's better. How is it better that we can go to that system versus keeping what we have that isn't 
communistic. How do we yeah. how do we explain it to well because I, I I would think that owned by the public is way better than owned by a couple people who have their own self interests who don't aren't accountable to anybody. Yeah, well that's like Libra, <laughs> which is going to be this cryptocurrency, but it's not really a cryptocurrency. But it's totally controlled by big private money, and they can change the rules whenever they want to. It is better to have a central system, it seems to me. You need a head, you know. You need somebody that's some entity. Well, I was just studying the, the um, South Korean system, the chables, which are, are um, they were groupings of corporations that, but they had their five-year plans. So, and the government would support particular industries for that five-year plan. And it worked brilliantly well. And they went from the poorest country in the OECD countries to to one of the richest in 30 years. How did they do that? It was because of this system where they created their own credit internally, like this, this groupings of corporations own their own bank, created credit, guaranteed each other's loans. They did a lot of leveraging, creating credit out of nothing, but because the books were not real transparent and nobody really knew. And then the government supported all that. And, and it worked brilliantly well. So they were able to set up these certain industries that they beat everybody else at. And so it seems to me that you need that you need a cooperative, you need to cooperate. In our system, it's like everybody for himself. It's all about greed. Nowadays, the millennials are complaining because they have to provide for their own education. They come out of school with these huge debts in order and then they can't even get jobs or whatever I mean nobody's looking after after the people it's uh, it's all about protecting the big corporations protecting the big banks protecting the investors but nobody is protecting the workers and the you know just ordinary people and the retired people all those things that we used to actually have pretty good coverage on we don't have anymore well mercantilism and that's the difference. This isn't free market. This is this is mercantilism that is geared for protecting the wealthy. And you almost sound like you are a socialist when you start attacking mercantilism because they've taken that knowledge. They don't teach it anymore. They don't tell you what it is. Free market is not what we have right now. We don't have a free market. We have a protectionist system for the wealthy, for Wall Street and the little guy is left to deal with stuff on their own, that's not free market. A free market, things would totally change. And so we just are sitting in this la-la land of awfulness. I'd much rather be in what you're talking about. I mean, we have to have some cooperation, and we have to have a bank that actually the money comes back to the people as a utility. I love that. Um, now, if we don't do anything about this, if China continues to just kick our you know butt in this area because they have I, I you know triple the capital you know without I mean they just have so much more money coming in with their out having to owe it to other people I mean are we ever going to be able to compete with them unless we change how we're doing our banking your example of how that one country changed their banking and became the most prosperous in the area or one of them is exactly what our problem is. I mean, it points to what in China, 
is equipped to compete where we aren't. It's like playing in a soccer game where we didn't sleep the night before and they're well rested, they've been working out, have muscles that are three times more. I mean, it's, we just are gonna lose. Yeah, well, and the idea that having the central bank be, um, that everybody would have access to central bank, that is not a communist system. I mean, the central bank would be like, actually in, in China, they were complaining about Alipay and WeChat Pay, that the banks have become dumb pipe. In other words, they're just, they're just a source of money, and then the money's funneled into these other things. Well, if you had a, a network of public banks all across the country, let's say, in other words, if the banking system were a public utility, and it was mandated to turn the profits to the people. It wouldn't need shareholders because you don't need capital from shareholders. You can create your own capital. And you can. And so the central bank is only the source of liquidity. In other words, it's not really making decisions. You don't need to make decisions about interest rates, it seems to me. Those are market, the market decides on that type of thing. Well, even if it's a utility, can't we push down the money coming back to the lowest levels possible too? The money coming back to the cities, the money coming back to the states. Yeah. I mean, we can push it right. all the way down, and it can be the most distributed money system that actually actually cooperates together, so we can max out what we can we can get back, and yeah. it can be a utility to completely help the people. Right, and if it's if it's a public utility, you can take the long view. You can think, okay, we need research and development on this. We're going to put money in this. You can have uh, governing boards that are representative of the community. They decide what the community wants and needs. So, it, and I think most importantly is that the money is going back to the community. That's the only way you're going to get the system of money is created as a debt and and then repaid. If you if you've got interest being siphoned out all the time into somewhere else, like the 21 trillion plus that's in offshore tax havens, or even just the money that goes into the stock market, that money doesn't come back. It's that's a casino, and it just keeps bidding the prices up. You you could call it real estate that already exists that is in a casino, and and the money just keeps bidding up the the existing asset prices. But where the money is not going is into the local economy and particularly to the borrowers who need that money to pay off their loans. So the only choice, because there's just not enough money in the system, is to create more debt and more debt. And the banks like that. That's what they want. Their business is debt. So that works perfectly well for them. It does not work for us. We need a system where the all the money goes back into the into the system. Or, or all the, you know, all the bank's profits. And goes back to the communities, goes back to yeah, the people. Exactly. Now, exactly. if we don't do this, are we, I mean, are we, are we screwed? I mean, I, I mean, we, China's just gonna take over if we don't fix our financial system. They right. might, they're probably gonna take over anyways, but they will really take over if we don't fix our, China, our, our financial system. Yeah, well, it seems that our leaders, our neocon <laughs> leaders, think that our edge is that we can threaten them with war and sanctions and that sort of thing. But that it, that's just not going to work. I mean, what we are doing is setting them up to create their own money system, which is what they are doing. Their own SWIFT system, they're creating their own um, development bank system where they're, they're helping small countries in ways that we aren't. So... 
they're just creating another system. And in fact, I think that's what we should do with our public banking system. We can't really knock down the big boys. What we can do is set up a better mousetrap, a better model, and then people will just naturally gravitate there. I mean, we can't probably commandeer the central bank right away. Although it's really interesting that these big people like from the Fed or, you know, ex-Fed people and ex-economists and ex-Treasury people are talking about that, that they're, they're actually saying this is a way that we could get rid of the fear of bank runs and the problem of shadow banks that we need in order to have a place for big, big investors like pension funds to park their money. Well, it's becoming obvious to people who, who aren't war mongers that we need just to do it better. I mean, it, there is a point where just beating up people up isn't the solution. It's better just to be better, right? I mean, exactly. right? Yeah. So what are you doing? Because I know you're, you're working so hard to educate people on this. What are you doing to get the word out and to you know, move in this direction and try to get people to see what, it, what the possibilities are? Unfortunately, the internet went down. I cannot get her back. I've called her, I, I, I just can't reconnect. So something happened and we are not able to finish this interview. But I think we got most of the stuff we needed. And the last question I asked her is what is she doing and how can people read and see more of her work? And I do know that she runs the public banking, um, she's a president and runs the Public Banking Institute. And she also has several books out. I'm going to have links to all of those. And look below the video here. I'll have links to her blog. I'll have links to how you can get her books. And her, the Public Banking Institute, I know there are um, different legislation going through around the country. I think there's 10 different cities, major cities, that are looking at putting this in place. And uh, like she said, let's build a better system. Let's not tear down what's here. Let's just build a better system and they'll come to that instead of what we have here. Let's just build something better and people will go and flock to what's better for them. The cities will go to what's better. If we don't do this, we can't compete. So we need to fix what we have going on now. We need to stop the trillions that are being stolen. We need to fix it so that money stays back at the lowest level of our communities. And we need to get our act together, period. We need to get our act together. It's like a, a, a soccer team or any kind of team where you're just a bunch of misfits competing against a well-oiled machine. We're the misfits right now. Let's get our act together and let's be competitive. Let's do a better job. Otherwise, we will not only get beat, we will get creamed by the competition because we are doing a crappy job and that's because so much of our money is being stolen. It's not going back to the people. We are not utilizing the best and the brightest that we have in this country. We are holding up the, the wealthy. It's a mercantilism system. It's not a free market. And we, we're just gonna get destroyed. And, and I'm not talking militarily destroyed. I'm just talking economically destroyed because they're gonna be that much better than us. And I know that there are um, dependencies everywhere, but at some point, you can't just be a military might and be there. People just go elsewhere. It's the competitive environment. If they're better, they'll go elsewhere. So we need to get our act together. Let's start building better systems that work better for the people. And I think she has some really good ideas. And it, it makes more sense. It doesn't have to be 
a centralized top-down. I mean, you can you can keep it at the lowest levels of your community if it's considered a utility. So let's relook at this and get this going. Now look for all the links that I have for the Public Banking Institute, how to get her recent book, and learn about all the legislation and get her recent articles. Um, I think just learning about it and getting this conversation going in a big way will make a difference in our country. So thanks for listening and thank you for all of my patrons for supporting my work.